The scripture this morning is on page 561 in your pew Bible. I'll be reading from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31, 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with my people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. This is an important passage. You see it there in Jeremiah 31. But I want you to note that this is the longest passage quoted in its entirety in the New Testament. In other words, it's an Old Testament passage quoted in the New Testament, longest one in its entirety, and it's in Hebrews chapter 8. In fact, I would love for you to turn to that. It's on page 849, 849 in the Pew Bible. And I want you to just hook your thumb in there because you'll see beginning at verse 8 there of Hebrews chapter 8, it begins, and it's the very reading that Randy just offered to us. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Verse 9, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. And it goes on to describe it as a very uh, personal, more intimate, more inward kind of covenant, not one that's just simply on tablets of stone, but one that's much more relational. And then you get down to that curious verse in verse 12, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember no longer their sins, or I will remember their sins no more. And then you have an echo of that. If you go over to chapter 10, look at verse 17. It echoes that last curious verse. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. It is an important passage, and we'll get to that. Hook your thumb in there or just place it aside, but we'll go back to Hebrews uh, chapter 10 in just a moment. But I wanted to begin talking about someone I read about recently whose name is Jill Price. She was diagnosed with a rare condition known as superior autobiographical memory. She can recall in vivid detail every day of her life since age 14. And not just recalling birthdays or, or anniversaries, anything like that. We're talking every moment, vivid detail, all the things she did, thought, felt. Could you imagine? And experts at the University of California confirmed this after a six-year study. They monitored her for six years, and indeed, she could remember in, in, in minute detail all of what she saw and felt and experienced each and every day. And they asked her about it at the end of it, and they said, this is a blessing in some ways. You know, I'll think of uh, good things that happened to me in the past, and it can strengthen me and comfort me, but she said it's mainly a curse. There's a real dark side to this. She said, because I recall every bad decision, every wrongdoing, every insult, every excruciating embarrassment I've ever had. She said, I feel assaulted, I feel paralyzed by all of this, and I rarely sleep well, and I rarely find a sense of peace. Well, if you and I had that ability ourselves, and we were to pile up and recall all of our sins of the past, 
All the disappointments, all the failures, all the ways that we betrayed someone, let someone down, let God down. I really don't know if you and I would sleep very well either. And then if you consider God's memory, I mean, we'll talk about God being omnipotent, uh, all the omnis, but one of the words is what? He's omniscient, which means what? All what? Knowing. And He knows all things. And He knows everything about us. And yet you get to this curious passage that is birthed in Jeremiah and then reappears in Hebrews where it says, I will remember their sins no more. How is that? What gives there? And it's important for us to look at some context, first of all, to fully appreciate what this is about. Now, as you know, this book is divided into two big sections, the Old and New, help me, Testament. Okay, did you know that in the first 200 years of this book, after it was closed as a canon and presented as it is, it was not referred to, these two sections were not referred to as the Old and New Testaments, the Testamentum, but as covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Diateke. But then a guy named Tertullian came along, who was one of the early church fathers, who was an attorney, by the way, and sometimes attorneys deal with what? A last will and fill-in-the-blank testament. More of a legal term, and he imposed that legal term onto it. And I'll be real honest, I wish it was still the Old and New Covenant. I like that better. There's more of a relational sense to that. And there was an old covenant, and it was inaugurated with Abraham, as you know, and it was more national in scale. It was a little less personal. It wound up being codified by Moses through the delivering of the law. And yet the people kept letting down their end of the covenant again and again. God remained faithful, but we remained faithless, and it just went on and on. The people of Israel just kept letting him down, letting him down, letting him down. And you get down to about 587 B.C., And the Jewish nation is about to be destroyed by the Babylonians, and indeed it is. I mean, it is overrun and destroyed. Jerusalem virtually burnt down, the walls around it broken down, and people taken into exile, which is why it's called the Babylonian exile. Darkest time in Jewish history. And it took that historical occurrence for the Jewish people to finally finally really grasp the degree of their sin, the enormity of their sin. And at that point, they remembered their sins very well. They were finally like, oh, that was so awful of us. In fact, some of you know, if you've had Bible classes or whatever, that a lot of Scripture, Old Testament Scripture, was written during that 60-year span of the Babylonian exile, beginning in 587 B.C. A good bit of it, at least Joshua through 2 Kings. And it's written from a particular perspective. And you see that as these folks who were God-inspired, as they were writing it, they kept having these little things. Have you ever seen in the Old Testament where it'll say, Something bad occurs, and they'll say, this happened because God was upset with the children of Israel. This bad thing happened because God was disappointed with them. This happened because the people sinned against the Lord. And it goes on and on and on. So as that scripture was being written, there was a strong sense of remembrance of their sin. Now, if you were weighted down that much with guilt and with sin, you need to hear a good word. And fortunately, Jeremiah comes along and offers a new covenant, not the old one but a new covenant, and he describes it beautifully in that passage in Jeremiah 31 about how it's not just going to be written on tablets of stone, it's going to be written in people's hearts. It's going to be more intimate, more relational. And what's interesting is Jeremiah did not know when this was going to come to fruition, when this covenant would be fulfilled. Now, we do. We know that it was fulfilled with Jesus. In fact, you know what? Jesus refers to this passage at a very pivotal point. Do you remember the Last Supper? 
wonder if anybody can fill in this blank. Jesus holds up the cup at the Last Supper and says, this cup is the what of my blood? Does anybody know? This cup is the new covenant of my blood. When he said that, the disciples sitting there knew he was referring back to Jeremiah 31. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And Jesus was proclaiming there, that new covenant is now coming to fruition. It's being fulfilled now because of my impending death, the shedding of my blood on the cross. It's what Jesus was talking about himself. So again, this was, in a sense, inaugurated by Jeremiah, this new covenant. Jesus fulfills it, and it's so significant that the writer of Hebrews comments on it, not once, but really twice, and especially focuses on, again, that peculiar verse that says, I will remember their sins no more. Now, how can that be? How is that possible? Because God knows all things. We know that. God recalls all things. He's God. But we've got to look at what Scripture is saying. Now, I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 10. If you've got it there, Hebrews chapter 10. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 10, about verse 3, what's going on here is it's describing uh, the, the sacrifices the priests would offer. And if you look at the verses before, it's talking about, you know how priests will go endlessly, year after year, offering sacrifices for people. And they have to journey up to the altar and do that again and again and again. Why? And what does it make the people think about? Look at verse 3. I'm just going to condense it here. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of what? What does it say there, somebody? sins. Okay. So you have these sacrifices that make people conscious of their sins. Okay. Being reminded again and again of their sins, which is why the priests have to go again and again to offer sacrifices for those sins. But then you you read on in Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about Jesus as the great high priest who becomes the once for all sacrifice. And out of that comes a new word, this new covenant, and it culminates in verse 17 where it says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Now that's a beautiful word because what is it saying? Jesus was the sacrifice that doesn't remind us so much about our sins but our forgiveness of sin. Prior to the sacrifice of Jesus, there were these sacrifices that were offered endlessly again and again. And what did it do? Reminded us of our sins. Jesus comes along and is the ultimate sacrifice, and it reminds us more about the forgiveness of those sins and those sins being blotted out and his remembering them no more. And that is such a beautiful grace. (laughs) You know, sometimes even in an underhanded way, (laughs) we can say that we forgive one another, but just the way we do it, we really don't. And we just remind people of their sins. Steve Brown is a pastor, and a woman came to him for spiritual counsel And she confessed to him something that she did about 15 years prior that really hurt and upset her husband. And he said, well, has he ever forgiven you? Has he ever said, I forgive you? She said, oh, yes. He said, well, that's good. She said, no. Every week he comes up to me and says, I forgive you completely for that. Every week. You see what he's doing in an underhanded way. (laughs) Take note. In an underhanded way, he's still bringing up, dredging up the sin part of it. You follow me? And that's really what's going on in this pattern of sacrifice that you find in in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3. They keep offering these sacrifices, but it reminds them of their sin. Jesus dies on the cross as the ultimate high priest who doesn't just offer a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice, and your sins are remembered no more. And even now, when we authentically confess, sincerely confess our sins to God, Christ, what happens? Well, many of us have memorized, and I hope we really believe it, 
1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And it's a reality. And again, it's more of a reminder of our forgiveness of sin. And I want you to take note. God doesn't say he'll forget our sins. It says he will remember them no more. And you've got to understand the meaning of that verb there. Where it says remember their sins no more, what that means is he will hold it against you no more. Does God remember all your sins? Well, sure he does, but he's not going to remember them in the sense of holding them against you. Not going to hold it against you. And that's what grace is. Think about it. Once the sin is forgiven, it's never brought up again. In a sense, it doesn't exist because that's God's heart of unconditional love. It's settled eternally. It's done. That's why it really means he removes sin as far as what the east is to the west. It's gone. Now, do you realize what a grace that is, this, this gift of, of, of non-remembrance that he offers to us? What a relief. Some of you in here, and I'll, I'll go on to be disclosive, in the first service or after the first service, I had a number of people come up to me and say, I needed to hear that. I've been weighed down in this guilt because of. And so I hope maybe that's a word for you this morning, a, a word of relief that, you know, if I just confess this, it's done. And in God's eyes, it's done. It's settled. For eternity. That's what grace is. But let me take this a step further, and here's where it gets tough, and I want you to really hear me out on this. Hear, no, let me say hear from God's Word on this. Do you realize that that is such a gift that's placed upon us and offered to us, but do you realize that because of that, it offers a calling to us as well? It places a calling on us, and it this is the tough part because you might not be struggling so much with guilt. You might, and if so, be blessed and know that he'll not remember and hold it against you. But it might not be guilt that you're struggling with, but a grudge. Maybe not guilt, but a grudge. And that, that really bears out the challenge here. Taking this grace of non-remembrance and applying it to people with whom you relate. Maybe someone you might consider very difficult to love. Someone you might consider an enemy. Someone you are struggling to forgive. You know, I, I often hear people say, well, I'll forgive, but I sure won't forget. Yeah, understood. You try even harder to forget it, and you're just going to keep thinking about it all the more because you're so conscious of it. But that isn't what it means to forget. To forget means not to hold it against the person who has wronged you. We may never really forget. We'll remember what others have done to us. But what we are called to do, and hear me on this, what we are called to do is treat them as though they never did it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, that's easier said than done, Jim. I understand that. Much easier said than done. But yes, it's possible. Why is it possible? Because of the cross. Amy was saying earlier about how the cross is what unites us all in community. Well, it unites us all in community of the people who, because of our expression of our sins, our confession of our sins to him, we are redeemed. And yes, we are washed clean, and our sins are remembered no more. And because of that alone, we should give thanks because that unites us as a redeemed people. But you know what? At the cross, Jesus treated your sin as if he had done it. Do you hear me? We should treat those who have wronged us as though they never did it. Why? Because he treated our sins as if he did it and took it on himself, took the punishment that we deserved, paid the price for our sin as if he was the one who had sinned. Do you get that? 
And that's the amazing thing about the gospel. The amazing thing about the gospel is not that God is a nice guy and he just says, well, let's just let bygones be bygones. He, he doesn't hold the sin against us as an act of grace, which was shown most ultimately on the cross. D- does God remember your sins? The, I would say the way in a positive sense that he remembers your sins is that he remembered your sins at the cross. He remembered your sins on Calvary. And because of that, he's going to remember them no more. Most ultimately, as your salvific experience, but even beyond that, when you sincerely confess them to him. And then they're gone. He doesn't count them against you. That was all canceled at the cross. And he did that for us. So can you, here's the tough part, can you do the best you can to implement that into your own life? And I know Jesus said you've got to forgive somebody not just seven times, but does anybody remember, what does he say, 70 times seven? What is Jesus saying? It's a process. I want you to think about someone right now toward whom you have harbored resentment, frustration, anger, bitterness. It's a process, isn't it? Seventy times seven. And yet that's what we're called to do. And folks, I would hope that we would consider the notion that, that it's at least worth trying to do because of what he did by remembering our sins on the cross. It's the least we can do. He hung there as if he was the one who had sinned. Not you, not me. The least we can do, least we can do, is try to remember the sins of others no more whom we need to forgive. Do y'all remember who Clara Barton was? Clara Barton founded what? I was really impressed in the first service. Many people. Clara Barton founded the you people, so good. Get an A for the day. A minus. Um, founder of the Red Cross. In a biography of her, it was real interesting, there was a close friend who reminded her of something very vicious that somebody had done to her about 15 years before. And it was a curious moment because Clara acted as if she, she didn't remember. And her friend said, oh, come on, Clara, don't you remember it? And she said this, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. Isn't that great? I distinctly remember forgetting it. Now, is she in denial? No, she's not compartmentalizing. What is she doing? She's letting it go. And she said, I'm choosing not to remember it just as Christ chooses not to remember my sins. Do you follow me? I'm choosing not to remember that. And this person is so hard to love. But I'm going to love them as if they did not do that to me. Because Jesus died for me as if he was the one who sinned and not me. Not easy. But, <laughs> but I think about how undeserving I am. Uh, A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez, Major League Baseball, has been suspended for, what, 211 games, Ethan? Is that right? Yeah, you're real sad about it, too, Cardinals fan, I know. But uh, he's been suspended for 211 games. Other players have been suspended. I think of Barry Bonds, who got, you know, became the pseudo-home run king. But it was, it, it, to me, I say in sports these days, it's like we're in the era of asterisks. Lance Armstrong, whoever. I mean, yeah, you won these different uh, uh, you know, athletic events or you broke some record, and yet there's going to always be an asterisk by your name, which basically says you really don't deserve this because you used perform- performance-enhancing drugs or, or whatever other way you cheated. And, and I think about that, and I can be real self-righteous saying, yeah, how are these people going to have an asterisk? I think it was Barry Bonds, actually, when he, when he hit that 
record-breaking home run, I think the guy got on the internet and said, what should I do with this, people? And I think what was said was put an asterisk on it and send it to the Hall of Fame, and that's what he did. So I could get real self-righteous and look at them, but I, you know, I thought about that the other day, and I thought, okay, let's fast forward to when I die and leave this realm of reality, and I'm standing before the holy, majestic, completely pure God of the universe, and let's say that in a literal sense there's a book of life there, I don't even deserve to have an asterisk by my name. I mean, it should just be crossed out. And yet, miracle of miracles, mystery of mysteries, there's a cross beside my name. And because of the cross representing that one who died for me, I will get in, though undeserving. I think, my God, you're going to forget all these things? You're going to remember these sins no more? That, that, that quality, that weight, that glorious weight of grace, I'm, you're offering to me? I love the way Tim Keller puts it. He said, here's the gospel in a nutshell. You're more sinful than you ever dared to believe, and you're more loved than you ever dared to hope. He remembers our sins no more. Thanks be to God, the weight, the burden of that sin can be lifted. But let's not forget that calling of implementing that in our lives and mirroring, trying to mirror the image of Jesus in our own lives as we forgive and offer grace to others, even those whom we struggle to forgive and love. I'd like for us to bow our heads for just a moment and have a time of silent meditation. And I wa- This is just between you and God. And thanks be to God we're in this era that's not old covenant that's just written in stone. This is this, is this relationship you have with Jesus that is written in your heart. And, and, and in your heart right now. I want you to to discern some way that you might be weighted down by sin, some sin in your life, some act of betrayal, some compulsion, some act of greed, some act of jealousy, whatever it might be, something that that you did that, that you know was failure, that was disappointment, that was awful. And yet remember that when you confess it, he remembers it no more. Not held against you anymore. Washed clean for eternity, it's done. So I want you to take this opportunity right now just to confess whatever it is you need to confess to him. Settle the matter now. Do that, and it's never brought up again on his end. And because of that, you can walk in newness of life. Take just a moment to do that. that he remembers your sins no more is such a grace. And yet now let me take us a step further. Let God take you a step further. And I want you to think of someone, an individual, a group, whatever it might be, someone whom you have struggled to love, someone you have struggled to impart grace upon, someone you have struggled to forgive, family member, neighbor, classmate, someone at work, whatever it might be, give that over to him now because of what he gave over to you and ask him that you might follow him more closely in his example set forth at the cross taking all that on as if he had done it and not ourselves well let him challenge you to love that person by not holding the past against them 
but moving along. I know easier said than done. I know it's a process, but it's what he desires of you. Look at what he did so ultimately for you on the cross. So just pray right now that you could follow him more closely and seek to forgive that person. moment our hearts are lifted because we realize you remember our sins no more (laughs) and yet you call us to take that a step further and implement it apply it in our own lives as we relate with others even the most difficult people for us to love but challenge us to do that this day realizing what an amazing mysterious grace-filled gift you've offered us by what happened so long ago at Golgotha Teach us, O God, to love as you have loved us. We pray these things in your name.